Welcome to the Reno Storytellers Project, brought to you by the Reno Gazette Journal. This podcast features oral storytellers who strengthen empathy and connect our community through diverse first-person stories of Northern Nevada. Stephen Ng tells us a story of a violent father who could have stolen Stephen's legacy, but in a twist of teenage stubbornness, Stephen stole it back for himself. This is episode 11, A Name Does Not Define Me. Hello, everyone. Uh, my story starts with an epic journey. I was not quite three years of age, and I know that there are skeptics in the audience who are probably going to doubt I could remember something like that, but uh, there's an easy answer to that. My mommy told me. <laughs> I was three years of age. I walked out the back door, down the steps, and into that expanse of the unknown called our backyard and walked and walked and walked past this amazing acreage of grass and all those really, really cool bugs, lots of bugs. And I had this amazing time when finally I was able to reach out and touch the fence at the back of the yard. It was so amazing. It's what I think therapists call explorer's high because like touching the North Pole, I felt like I'd really done something. It probably took me hours to get out there because by the time I got back to announce my victorious journey, I, uh, as I made my way up the stairs ascending to the back door, that's when I met the monster. A six foot rattlesnake was coiled, uh, and just like in the cartoons, with the rattler, its thing. And in that moment, I froze and softly started crying for help. And my guardian angel came out in the form of my mother with a broom, beat the snake to death, <laughs> and I survived. And in that moment, I remember learning two wonderfully important lessons that helped me make it through my childhood. One, in the face of overwhelming danger, remain passive. <laughs> two, wait for help to arrive. Those lessons stayed in my head for a really long time, and it's a good thing they did because that very same year, just a couple of months later, before I turned three, my mother saved me from another monster, which brings us to my father. My father was one of thousands of American men who, during the emergency time of World War II, was offered a deal and the deal was that if you agreed to serve overseas in the United States Army, you would be pardoned of all of your many crimes. It was a deal he couldn't refuse. And so when he uh, took the deal, they shipped him off. You had to agree to, sit, to serve overseas, and that's where he went, straight to Alaska. <laughs> where he met my mother, and the two fell in love, and they were very successful, had a wonderful life, 
But my father was the kind of guy who was really not designed for the straight life. It was for squares. This whole idea of earning money and then paying taxes and then taking your kids to school and growing old. And that, that, whole, that whole narrative just didn't suit him at all. Because my father, you see, was the sort of guy who in today's parlance we would refer to as a violent psychopath. And, you know, that, that laughter reminds me of Woody Allen's line that when asked what comedy was, he said, tragedy plus time. Because if enough time goes by, just about everything is funny. And my dad is really no exception because I can laugh at him now, but back then, not so much. That particular man that he was, my second monster of my young life, followed us all the way to Reno when we remade our home here. And, uh, in, and in modern terms, we would call that stalking, I think. And for my mom, it was, uh, it was to be 10 more very difficult years. I said my dad was a violent psychopath, and his violence took novel and distinct forms. Sometimes it would be rather casual and even comical, uh, as in the time when he was driving on, on what was called B Street, and he was pulled over by a couple of police. They got out of their squad car. He got out of his car. They approached him. He beat them up and got back in his car and drove off. Who does that? My dad uh, could also be explosive in his violence as when the two burly detectives uh, dragged him into the uh, Sparks police station. This would be 1958, 59. And there was a young uh, photojournalist named Marilyn Newton, there at the time, I think still a teenager. And Marilyn had kneeled down to, to catch the shot with her camera. And as my dad was being dragged by, he lashed out with his foot and kicked her leg out from under her. Then uh, he kicked her in the ribs as hard as he could. And she told me later, that he kicked her in the mouth, knocking out every one of her teeth. My own memories of my father's violence date back to when I was just six years old. And I remember sleeping uh, with my little brother in our bedroom and being awakened out of a sound sleep by the sounds of yelling and screaming. That would be my father yelling, my mother screaming, and the sound of my mother getting thoroughly beaten by my father, who had broken into our house. It was one of those moments in my life where I felt like I really should fall back on those, those good lessons from my childhood. And I decided I would just pretend it wasn't happening and try really hard not to hear what I was hearing. And so I tried to go back to sleep. I tried to ignore what was, being, uh, what was happening in the next room. And I even put my head under the pillow and did the la, 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 la thing. 
to me that's still kind of funny, uh, even now, thinking about that. And none of that worked. And so, you see, I had to sit up and tell them to stop it. And that's what I did. And I remember screaming, stop it, stop it, stop it. And the hush fell over the house. It was like, oh, my God, we've awakened the children. Who would have thought? And I could hear my dad's footsteps as he left, uh, his shoes breaking the glass on the floor a little bit more. And then I could hear my mom pulling herself together and moving furniture back around to where it was. And in the morning, uh, it was as if nothing had happened. That was when I was six. By the time I was nine, my mother had made a decision to have my brother and myself go deep undercover. And she changed our names. We learned how to spell Hancock, and for the next several years, I was Steve Hancock instead of Steve Ng. And when I was, it's a good thing we did that, because by the time I got to seventh grade, my father uh, was killed by the Reno police. He was shot to death, uh, and he was shot so many times that when they came to, uh, to the crime scene to pick up his corpse, uh, upon picking him up, l so much lead fell from his body that uh, they could see it falling. And it was a good time not to be named Ng. I was Ng up until my last year of high school when one day my mother appeared and announced that I was going to go to court with her. So I was pulled out of class, we went to court, and there before the judge, I was presented with the opportunity to formally and legally change my name. And I was one of those real angsty teenagers, you know, the kind you see looking really miserable. And I was that way all the time. So uh, this day was no exception, but I remember feeling something, and it w I didn't even have a, the language to talk about it at the time, but I remember feeling really clear I did not want to do this, and really good about standing up and saying, no, Your Honor, I do not want to have my name changed. And so my name stayed the same. And that change felt so amazing as time went on because I was so, so utterly disinterested in ever trying to fit in ever again. I'd been doing that for a long time, trying to be accepted by the people in the community around me. And it wasn't like I grew up hating them. And I had no desire to exact some sort of revenge in my father's name store the family honor or anything like that. It just felt really good to be myself. Well, since then, I've become a therapist. And that's the laugh line. Every <laughs> well, of course, I'm a psychotherapist. I couldn't understand my family, so I had to get some help for myself. I heard God saying, well, I thought he said, become a therapist. He was probably saying, go to a therapist. <laughs> and guess what kind of clientele I work with? Mostly men, 
mostly criminals who've been convicted of serious, violent, and sexual crimes. And I love it. I've been loving it for about 25 years. And during that time, I've had the privilege of helping thousands of men become better fathers through their many more thousands of children. And I have enjoyed learning how to help men become more loving and more kind and to have normal, wonderful, loving relationships so that they too could go on to manage their lives intelligently, including their sex lives intelligently. And I've learned in the end that I don't ever need to be afraid of anything out there ever again. Because as long as I am really good with being me, I'm not really afraid of anything anymore. This podcast was produced by the Reno Gazette Journal. I'm Mike Higdon. Thanks for listening to the Reno Storytellers Project.